Hello and welcome to the Recursive Podcast. Our next guest has always believed in the idea that space is closer than we think. Raichu Rachev is the co-founder of one of the fastest growing space tech companies in Europe, Endurosat. The company builds nanosatellites and it offers shared satellite missions that gives nations, companies and even universities access to space. He had also created a leadership and space education program for space engineers in Bulgaria called Space Challenges. Raichu Rachev, welcome to the Recursive Podcast. Thank you for coming. Uh, it has been a very interesting journey of getting myself prepared for this interview. Uh, and um, I have some interesting quotes that I would like to start with. Uh, my favorite one from you is making a space startup is like being a baby again. You wake up at 5 a.m. and you just cry. Why did you end up creating a startup that it feels like waking up at 5 a.m. and just crying? Yeah, to be honest, this is not my quotation. I just really? uh, I just used it. Uh, I saw it. Uh, I saw it as a, as a description of a generally creating startups, but I twisted a little bit with a space flavor in it. Yeah, but why did you decide to create a space startup? Everyone is like trying to create a startup, and you're making your life way more like hard than. Uh, at the moment that, uh, in the moments that we, when we started the company, I didn't know what I'm getting into. Uh, so I was as optimistic as any other founder in any other industry. And to be honest, I don't know if uh, uh, if uh, starting a space startup is uh, worse or more difficult. Uh, and as time went, uh, as we developed the company, we understood that a lot of things that we didn't account for in terms of risks, uh, tough, uh, difficult decisions, and especially complexity of technology and sector, uh, surprised us a lot. I have a favorite quote by um, a friend of mine who says, not knowing can be a very good superpower because sometimes you don't get to the limitations that the environment yeah. has. Yeah, exactly. It's true. Not knowing is blessing, basically. <laughs> uh, if you ask me with my current experience, uh, would I start uh, in an attic apartment a space program in Bulgaria? Probably the answer would be no. If you, if you have a time machine and you return me on the same spot when we were thinking and conceptualizing about Endurosat, but having in mind all the context and the experience that we earned in the industry by fighting every day, Probably due to the experience, you have a, a bigger amount of fear factor playing in your decisions. Mm. You have started your company with a bank loan. How courageous is that? With a? With a bank loan. You took money from the bank to oh, yeah. fund the first few months. Yeah, it's, uh, um, this was uh, one of the hardest moments in my life because I, uh, I wanted to build spacecraft ever since I'm a child. I don't remember if there was a wow moment that turned me into this direction. Maybe there was, but I don't remember the exact moment. And when I decided to go uh, to actually try it, uh, it was really difficult for two reasons. First, I didn't have uh, any financial backup. And secondly, to be fully invested in the, in the startup, I had to leave a, a really good job. And it was uh, the first uh, six months of running the company were probably the most uh, difficult ones. Because you are uncertain, you are still not certain about your own capabilities. Can you develop and design this uh, this thing to actually work out? You have to convince the the first uh, people to come on board, which I was grateful that they decided and jumped immediately. And then you have to go and search for investors, which in our case was a disaster management, because we didn't know, especially myself, I didn't know how to pitch, how to present the project. And also in our region, since there was absolutely zero other uh, alternative space programs at that moment of time, going to someone's office and, uh, and telling him, hey, I'm right, I'm going to build a space company, uh, was uh, 
borderline crazy and, and we had situation where a guy literally called the security guys to go walk me out of the office because he literally thought that I'm a crazy person. Have you met this guy again? Uh, not, not really physically. I didn't meet him, but I, I'm pretty sure that now he's more confident that I'm not as crazy <laughs> as I looked maybe six years ago. <laughs> Amazing. Uh, a word that pops to my mind that you used in the conversation that I was um, listening to so I can get myself prepared. Is it lunatic? Yeah. <laughs> no, no, but you can imagine a, a guy with a um, really stra strange looking, I would say, guy with my thick uh, Balkan accent telling I'm going to build a world-class space program and actually we're going to democratize access to space. I would, uh, I would have my own doubts yeah. if I meet me in uh, six years ago. Yeah. Uh, the joke about lunatic is in Bulgarian, uh, Luna means a moon. Yeah. So it's like space-related objects. Yeah. So lunatic, it's, it's just a pun. Um, your signature phrase is space is closer than you think and it's definitely seems so for just six years you made all of this possible with the team of course uh, what made it possible for you to pursue the business venture in space i mean you are saying that it was hard and going back you will definitely have a second guess of your idea to start this but space challenges started way before that and you used it as a base for the first people to join you it's so it happened um i probably believe more than usual that space is the inevitable future of us as a species if we don't do something excessively stupid on the ground of course before that and um, and so i thought that if more people have proper meaningful access to space in any shape or form uh, our society would uh, benefit from it on a much larger scale. And uh, everything that we have done in the last 11 years, first starting with the educational program, uh, was to convince young people with much more talents and brains than I have. And that space is actually uh, like every other industry. And as long as you can apply your know-how and know the specificity of the environment you are getting into, the context of the industry that you are getting into, uh, it's completely possible and plausible that you're going to, to have a tremendous success and, and build something meaningful. And uh, with the educational program, the idea of space is closer was, can we make sure that uh, leading experts from the field of space science and technology actually engage with very smart people from our region and, and demonstrate exactly this message that uh, you should not be afraid to fail if you pursue something that is of a better meaning and better value, potential outcome. And from, from one side and from the other side, that you should never limit your, yourself thinking automatically, well, this is not for me because uh, the industry is too far, sounds like too far-fetched or you know, we don't have it in our region. You should not self-deprive yourself of the opportunity to develop in the field that you are really good at. Um, so this was the first step of how, how do we make space closer? Well, we just literally bring physically experts from around the planet to share their experience and expertise with us. We learn from them. We see where the sector is right now, and then we leverage uh, the fact that sometimes not having any whatsoever uh, well-built infrastructure in a given sector gives you the privilege to leapfrog and to jump in immediately into the domains that, uh, that are current trends and currently relevant to the sector. Uh, so this is what we did, and this is how the, the idea uh, grew to, towards Endurosat, towards the idea, well, if we now understand a little bit better the environment of space, the context of the space industry and where this industry is going, thanks to the amazing efforts and the privilege of 
hosting those uh, more than 100 leading experts in a duration of six, seven years in, in Bulgaria from the space sector, then why don't we actually engage uh, even further and now that we know where the trends are and where we could really bring immense value, try to do it on a technology level. And technology level was basically the concept, the concept behind Dursat. Can we design a spacecraft in a way, a satellite in a way that uh, it's really, really easy to use and integratable with any type of sensors and put those sensors in orbit so that they can generate as soon as possible valuable data that uh, basically impacts positively industries on the ground. So uh, when I say space is closer than you think, this is kind of a mentality, I would say, uh, that we we have in, in the company and with the educational program that whatever we do on a daily basis, we hope somehow objectively uh, translates into the notion that what I'm doing right now in my mundane daily, daily tasks, in my developments, in my uh, amazing exploration uh, initiatives, uh, in my education, should in principle lead us to a future where space is really more accessible and, 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 and universally affordable for uh, many and not just few. Awesome. There are two facts here that really amaze me. The first one is the fact that you have a degree in history, not in engineering, space engineering, or uh, even like IT type software development. And the second one is that you've created the program and the company without any governmental support or Anyway, funding. So when I when I was getting myself prepared, I've heard you talking about the value of entrepreneurship in basically the relentless pursuit of opportunity disregarding the currently available resources that you basically had not much of. Yeah. And went in 11 years time from creating a organization to creating a business with a huge impact. So um, what why is being entrepreneurial important? I would probably put it on my on my forehead for people to see why is it important to be an entrepreneur in your life. I think entrepreneurial is a, being entrepreneurial is a mindset rather than necessarily you having to create your own company. And I think you can you can be entrepreneurial in in any environment and in any shape or form that and context that you live in. As long as you are, uh, you have the capability to really objectively impact uh, the lives of others in a positive way, uh, either be by creation of an interesting product or a service, improve something existing, or do some paradigm uh, change in uh, in a way that you see fit, and basically have the audacity, I would say, to. Uh, to shape the world around you, whether small or big one, uh, in a way that you want it to be, as long as it's inclined towards improving others' life and bringing real value. Because a lot of, I uh, I tend to believe that a lot of startups uh, got a little bit confused over time that uh, hyping and uh, over-promising uh, is more important than you actually objectively sitting, drawing the line at the end of the day and seeing through the efforts that I've done today, through the product or the service that I have created, am I objectively improving life conditions and, and, and the world around me in the way that, that I'm, I wish to? Or am I a little bit self-delusioning uh, myself about the impact that I'm actually making? Yeah, I'm a huge uh, fan of uh, a book called Atlas Shrugged. 
that pinpoints the importance of uh, being entrepreneurial in the world. Uh, the second thing is you said that you've always been amazed by space and wanted to create a spacecraft, but nevertheless, you chose history. Why did you chose history? Because there are two things that I love a lot and dearly. One was uh, the idea of trying to understand our civilization and what went so wrong in the in the years uh, before me, and not to make the mistakes again. Yeah. <laughs> and then and and then space. And of course, because in Bulgaria at the time that I wanted to create these uh, spacecraft engineering initiatives, uh, it was absolutely impossible from a point of view. There is no relevant education whatsoever to permit you to do that on a on a general sense. Uh, I, I decided to pursue my other passion, which was uh, history and cultural anthropology. And, and uh, Sofia University had a fantastic, uh, actually, st hopefully, still have a fantastic uh, degree in uh, history. And I was amazed because that at the moment I started studying history, all my friends were like, "Ah, you're crazy! What can you do? Uh, what, what can you work after you graduate? You, you know, as a historian." To them, uh, degree in history sounded like. Uh, um, uh, doomsday, basically, <laughs> something that you cannot uh, leverage or, or or do anything with. with. And actually, uh, because I have a strong interest in industrial era, revol industrial revolution, the the creation of the modern businesses, a lot of the things that I've experienced, even in Endurosat, as we are growing so fast, the company and scaling to different sizes and and, and complexities of the business. Uh, relate very closely to events that have happened in different industries as they were growing and becoming uh, relevant in their in their regions, uh, in different parts of the world through history. So I would say history actually helped me immensely, even on a daily basis, sometimes to explain to myself this uh, social experiment that we created as a company, uh, and and to be able to try to navigate more efficiently the um, the. Uh, the direction and the speed at which we want to develop it further in the future. Yeah, there's this uh, Henry Ford quote, if I have asked the people what do they want, they would have said faster horses. Yeah. So I can imagine that something like this. Um, what was the resource that basically you utilized to create um, Endurosat? Was it like the people and their brains or was it the, the idea was so so good? Or what what actually is the foundation of Endurosat? I think the foundation of Endurosat was our drive that that we really want to build spacecraft and we believe that spacecraft should become at certain point a commodity technology. If you think about the smartphone, is insanely complex system of uh, hardware architecture on a cutting edge technology, uh, incredible manufacturing challenge, uh, insane amount of uh, software, including smart algorithms, so machine learning algorithms. Uh, but when you use it as an end user, this entire complexity and, and difficult even to grasp uh, supply chain is not uh, transferred to the to the uh, customer, to the user, to the consumer. So if we could do our job well so that we push the satellites in the same direction where the satellite, of course, is an incredibly sophisticated system, uh, it, it requires insane amount of engineering and uh, it implies a huge amount of risk in development the supply chain of building something on a hardware level is excruciatingly painful and it becomes more and more apparent that actually uh, making sure that the production lines are working well and uninterrupted even on a smaller scale that we operate is sometimes even more challenging than the creation of the technology itself uh, but then all those complexities i believe we should not transfer to the to the end user 
because the sole purpose of you launching anything in space as a spacecraft is because this spacecraft is carrying some kind of sensors and through the data that those sensors aggregate, basically the, uh, you hope to discover something or you hope to impact, uh, to get an information vital for impacting positive industries on the ground. So in a nutshell, if you think about the satellite, it's like a transport vehicle. And uh, we really saw no objective uh, reasoning why the satellite should remain very complex tailor-made uh, system because it's like building Rolls Royces. It's nice, but not everyone could afford uh, Rolls Royce as a car. So the same goes with the satellite, even with a bigger, uh, bigger uh, cost, a, a bigger cost and a bigger complexity. So if we could potentially eliminate the entire complexity and the cost of the system, and help um, customers really focus on their mission, really focus almost the entire resource they have on the precision of their sensor, on the operations, and not on the legal and the complexity of the supply chain that the satellite mission implies. It's a huge step forward because imagine a small team of 10 people suddenly could afford to fly their camera in orbit to have early warning fire detection or to have a ex uh, extremely high precision meteorology or, or, or to generate data that is vital for the energy sector or, or data that is vital for uh, for uh, um, for preservation agencies that are trying to stop deforestations and, and to monitor uh, environment so that less people die from stupid uh, preventable causes on the ground all those things could become uh, incredibly more efficient if there is a way that we put in orbit much more sensors faster and if those users of those owners of the sensors, those users of the data that the sensors are generating, are not thinking and caring at all about the complexity of the satellite supply chain in the process. And supply chain, a satellite, just to give you the context, is you have to build your own satellite from multiple vendors. You have to integrate your own payload, meaning that you have to have a uh, really well-positioned teams, not of historians, but of aerospace engineers in the process and system engineers and mission operators. You have to have a really good knowledge about all the licensing and, and complexity of the sector in terms of uh, legality. So uh, registering the uh, frequencies for the flight, registering the space flight, exports, imports, all those things. And then if you are happy in two, three years, launch one-off satellite built from scratch without any heritage of your own team, hoping that uh, the sensor would work out well, generate the data, which, by the way, to receive the data, you have to have your own ground stations and antennas on the ground and your own mission control by that time. And only then this data gets received and, and potentially uh, having the opportunity to, to, to impact someone's life with this data. So instead of that, we decided early on why it's so complex, like why people keep doing one-off satellite missions, one-off designs, uh, why we think about the satellite technology as a very uh, fundamentally, I would say, um, hardware-centric industry where whatever you build and sits on the launch pad is, is, the, is, is, uh, is what is to be expected as performance in orbit and you cannot change it, you cannot modify it, you cannot do anything. So we decided, okay, first part of elimination of complexity, make the satellite capable of carrying different sensors without having to modify the hardware of the satellite, right? Sounds interesting. It, and, and, and also excruciatingly painful as we learned as we are designing this first uh, um, generation of our software-defined satellites. And how did we, uh, this is how we came up with the idea that we call in our terminology the software-defined satellite. Spacecraft capable of changing dramatically the performance of power, communication and processing on demand, even in orbit. 
capability to upgrade the performance and the efficiency of the spacecraft as it, as it is already in, in flight, in orbit, not on the ground. Uh, so this gives us the, the capability not only to be able to put sensors of different kinds on the same satellite, sharing the space of the satellite, which by the way results in a much cleaner space environment, because least amount of satellites in orbit means tremendously more opportunities for people to coexist without being worried about uh, polluting all the orbits uh, all the time. And on the other side, orders of magnitude more, more affordable space program for everyone who wants to fly the sensor, because overnight this uh, incredible engineers, scientists and entrepreneurs, they don't have to worry about the entire who is going to build my satellite, who is going to launch it, who is going to operate them, but rather put all their efforts into the sensor, who is, which, is which is the generator of uh, auctionable value in the mission. So the satellite part was the first uh, step that we did. Then we figured out, well, we should stop with the idea that everyone builds their own ground stations and, and their own mission controls in principle because it makes no sense, especially for the smaller scale spacecraft that we are, we are building. So the way that we approach it is we digitalize the entire mission control. It's, it's operating directly via the cloud. And in an instant, it notifies the operator, wherever the operator is, maybe it's even in vacation, that there is some discrepancy or some action that should be taken immediately. So instead of this guy having to personally sit in front of the screen 24-7 looking and nothing happens. And then it's, he's so tired that at the, at the moment that something happens, actually he, he's already too anxious to, to be able to solve the problem easily. Now notification comes to warn him about any discrepancy into the telemetry. So then you don't need any more mission operations and control for your sensor, right? And then if it's a digitalized mission control, meaning that you can expand and use already existing hardware of antennas on the ground so you don't you don't have to build and rent antennas because the, through the digital mission control our service is expandable to to many ground stations on the ground uh, in the entire globe so those actions we have taken into account year after year to keep eliminating and digitalizing and simplifying basically parts of the satellite infrastructure so that we can basically afford to to offer space to uh, as a as a real alternative to more entrepreneurs to test out their hypothesis and their business plans in a safer way because we operate the satellites and we deliver the satellites to orbit and we give you full access to your sensors but be, be, without you being worried about uh, the satellites, the supply chain, the operations uh, and the liabilities which in our sectors are uh, quite substantial part of the game. Wow, I would expect this pitch to be coming out of the Silicon Valley or uh, I don't know, uh, China or something like this, like, or Japan, it's like a, some tech giant somewhere. Uh, but it's coming from like small, small Bulgaria here in the local, uh, Southeastern Europe, um, community, which is, which is amazing. Like nothing is impossible. It seems like so. Well, it's, uh, we, we still have a long way to go, to be honest, but, uh, we're really happy that, uh, for just few years, we are already flying successfully multiple missions and multiple different hardwares in orbit with our customers. We learn on daily basis how to improve and no, uh, we are not uh, perfect by no means. Uh, we do our fair shares of mistakes. Uh, but as long as this concept of getting space closer uh, is really existing on objective level in our activities on daily basis, uh, we see dramatic, uh, dramatic uh, progress year after year. And in just six and a half years, we managed to get to a point where we go to another space um, space entrepreneur and tell him, give us what you want to fly. And in six months, you are operating your data from the cloud directly. Amazing. And I think this makes space more of, more affordable, more 
um, more exciting because mean, it means it provides equal uh, opportunity for many more entrepreneurs to test their own uh, ideas in orbit. And at the end of the day, again, the satellite is just a transport vehicle. So imagine <coughs> a satellite um, infrastructure builder, basically, mm. enabler of the true innovators in orbit to get there faster, iterate on their technology in a safer environment, preserving the common orbit, and then uh, uh, put maximum amount of efforts on their own to impact industries on the ground and human life conditions yeah. to improve uh, instead of uh, bearing 90% of their time and effort and capital into reinventing the wheel in terms of satellite supply chain in the process. Yeah. A tremendous cost savings, I would say. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. Um, one of the first, I, I believe the first satellite was part of the SpaceX launch? Uh, no, the first one uh, got launched with Orbital ATK, another very big uh, rocket uh, provider, and, and actually got deployed from the International Space Station in 2018. And uh, How do you feel when this happened? Um, good, I think. Uh, <laughs> to be honest, we were not so stressed because uh, we were so burned out already to build the spacecraft and we suffered so much to get it to this point. And what people don't realize is that just to get to to the point of being launched in the rocket, you have to have already built the spacecraft, certified it for flight, verified in a space qualified laboratories, made all the documentation necessarily and all the licensing. So basically the launch is probably uh, the moment that uh, everyone finally uh, before launch has time to sleep. How did you personally make others believe in this spectacularly brave idea? like out of Bulgaria to be to build a nano satellite that's with all the complexity that you just described. And then with the point of democratizing access to space. The first uh, people that, who joined the space uh, uh, company came from came via very uh, connected to studying as part of our own educational program. So I believe I didn't have to convince them too much because they were more crazy about space than I was probably. Um, so running six and a half years space challenges program was extremely difficult for me on um, personal level uh, to sustain the program because we never used uh, resources from government or other programs. And now I'm happy that I found uh, partners as we went through the year after year running the, the education. Uh, but meeting the people that came to study in the educational program was a profound uh, positive, uh, had a profound positive impact on my on myself because I saw people that are so much smarter than myself, technically savvy, and 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 really dreaming about space and, and having this passion about space in general, uh, as strong as I had it. So it was relatively easy. We just gathered literally one night after the program. We gathered. Uh, in an incredible first office of uh, 35 square meter apartment attic apartment in the center of Sofia. And I told them, listen, I think we now can uh, try to build our own spacecraft. What do you think about it? And the overwhelming answer was, yeah, let's do it. And they quit their jobs and joined the company. <laughs> so this was, a, uh, it was yet another boost of confidence for me as I went to ask investors to support in the region, uh, which didn't turn out exactly as I planned it in the first uh, few times. Yeah, you, you got rejected quite a few times, but how many times do you remember or even like rough estimate of this can't happen? 
To be honest, I don't, I try to account them. I got to almost 40 uh, different conversations, but uh, no, but it was crazy because I, I, I was so naive. I thought uh, it's so crystal clear what we are building and how we're going to change the industry. And it's so crystal clear that we're going to uh, really uh, make space more accessible for others, that we're going to create also enormous amount of opportunity for the business to grow. And, and then I, I had in my mind before going to the meetings with the first investors, this naive idea that I would have a different type of problem that so many people would like to invest in us that I will have to turn down a few of them and they will probably get pissed <laughs> off of me. <laughs> so this is this is how delusional I was when I started uh, to go out uh, uh, on, wow. on investment roadshow all the time. I didn't know even what roadshow. I just went from uh, uh, from an investor to investor. And then uh, I got a cold shower of uh, having about 40 no's, uh, but they, they, and also, I still could not grasp uh, the difference between my own expectation and what I was observing to happen as I spoke with investors. Um, so it was really funny uh, some nights when I go home and I think maybe I, this guy didn't actually understand what I told him. Maybe I have to go back again uh, because <laughs> at certain point uh, I, I start playing mental game where I, if, uh, if he says no, maybe it's a mild yes. If he yeah. says uh, Uh, I have to get the guy to tell me uh, hell no to make sure, okay, this is a no-go and then I go to the next guy. Oh, uh, boy. So this you was, were persistent, yeah. I must say. No, no, it's, I think it's, uh, it's, it was a very good learning curve for me as well. Yeah. Uh, and I think it's, uh, mm, it was also difficult because at that time in Bulgaria there was not um, enough professional funds and professional investments done when we started six and a half years ago, there were some funds, but they were in their first uh, stages. They mm. were themselves learning how to approach startups, uh, how to measure potential probability of success of a startup, etc. Now it's, uh, I think uh, our ecosystem is improving quite dramatically for good. So people change all the time. Yeah, um, it's a very interesting story how you met the first investors in the company. You, without even like, speaking to them they just said if i would have not built a software company i would have built something in space yeah it's true it's uh after maybe 40 something knows um and being very depressed already and very uh, very uh, anxious because uh, we were learning of out of the poor cash that i could have gathered my, by myself very quickly even though we were just uh, five people in the company um i i sit on a Uh, on the table with a guy whose first uh, line of thought was exactly like this. Uh, it's my dream to do something in space. Uh, if I was not working on a software, I'm definitely going to pursue a space career and space investment. And at the beginning, because of so many no's, I thought that, that I received from previous investors, I thought that this guy is joking and probably some of my friends are pranking me. <laughs> so literally it took me about five, six minutes to... Uh, to inquisitively ask several follow-up questions to make sure myself, for myself personally that he's not joking. Yeah. So it was incredible. And then just two days later, we got our first uh, two angel investors on board and it was, uh, it was amazing because basically with their help, we, we managed to survive and to mm. push forward to scale the team and operations. And it was, but it was uh, crazy times. Yeah, universe has its ways. Yeah, no, of course. So then, <laughs> then we were pressed to the wall yet again. And my first investors asked me, hey, go, go talk to a, to a friend of ours to see how he reacts. And uh, two days later, the other two angel investors came on board with the same leap of faith, which I could not believe seriously, because mm -hmm. it's a, a to, uh, even now that I'm telling this story and it's a, the real story how the Nusrat got created, 
it was a coincidence of uh, it was many many coincidental things happening one after the other uh, helping the company to survive and and to grow further and more than anything else was the leap of faith of a few extremely uh, successful i would say uh, local entrepreneurs and this says a lot because endurosat would have never existed if there were uh, just fans at the beginning because fans did not believe in endurosat but endurosat exists because of successfully successful entrepreneurs who built incredible companies and technologies in Bulgaria and who knew mm. what is behind and what it takes to build a really complex business and and their trust and confidence uh, made endurosat what is today maybe someone told them that this the things that they have in mind and their dreams cannot happen um i've never bothered to ask them to be honest uh, exactly the reasoning why they invested uh, because at the time for me it was much more important that they say yes and they went forward with the uh, with the investment itself so i was like okay <laughs> let, let, let's keep Straight it to the let, point let's keep it simple and let me focus on on keep building this satellite technology that i genuinely believed and i and i now see how our technology Amazing. impacts globally quite a few players in the space industry but at the time i was really i wanted just to focus on on designing the system and to make sure that the system really impacts positively customers and and players you know all right um this was touching really how how would you describe your leadership style i mean did you have any any entrepreneurial experience prior to creating Endurosat. My leadership uh, before Endurosat, I've never created uh, uh, successful businesses. Let's say by myself, I've participated and managed several different programs, uh, working in, in in bigger companies or or um, or via the educational program. Because six years before Endurosat, I created Space Challenges program, and the team of Space Challenges at a certain point grew to 12 people. So this was my very limited knowledge of how to run a tall organization. My management style, if I have to describe it, is for sure uh, wrong, probably, uh, in many cases. And, um, and and I really prefer and like to be very hands-on on everything that happens in the company. Um, and this is something that I'm currently battling because now we are scaling at the stage that, of course, I work with people who are tremendously smarter than myself. And now I'm learning and, uh, and teaching myself, basically, how to... I'm teaching myself how to delegate more and how to be more trust trust you to the people around yeah micromanaging is sometimes uh really not 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 helping like most of the time it's not helping yeah but um in our case it's uh, very uh, the very complexity of of what we are trying to build um requires us to have a really uh, good understanding of every single element of the business because every mistake on every level is a mission failure with us. It's not like you're running a software company without the demeaning the software companies, of course, but it's not like running a software company. Every mistake could lead to a mission failure. Every wrong decision could leave, uh, leave the company in a very bad shape uh, while the company is scaling. So you, whether you like it or not, you have to be very vested into what's happening on every conceivable level. Uh, but the trade-off is that you have to learn how to delegate and how to trust the team around you. And, Currently, we have a, an incredible team. I'm really proud. For example, our CTO uh, also came from Space Challenges program. Uh, majority of the people who are today decision makers in the company came from Space Challenges program. So here's a context how education actually matters at certain point in the game. 
the problem is the duration in which you have to, the timeline that it takes for an educational program to prove its worthiness. It's too long for uh, more short-sighted businesses and short-sighted thinking to um, to believe in education as an impor- as important as it is. How short-sighted precisely are these people? Usually very. I mean, uh, the context of the of the average business in our region uh, is that um, I, I believe that we are very short-sighted. Uh, we think about uh, next month, next three months, maximum one year. If you go genuinely to a business in, in, in the region and tell him I'm thinking about 15 years from now what we want to do or mm-hmm. 50 years from now, he'll tell you that he'll think first that you are either a bit crazy or a bit bullshitting because why would you even bother to make the exercise mentally to, uh, to try to foresee the future so that you project the steps that you make this future happen at the end. And uh, I think this is changing. I'm positively optimist about uh, our environment. But it's still a big uh, problem. People are really afraid to look out uh, more further than their own feet, basically. Yeah. Sell them Jeff Bezos's first letter then. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, uh, no. the letter that he wrote, the first letter to the people in Amazon. No, I don't. Started in a garage. He, like, it's all about the long game. Yeah. It's, it's more to it than this, but yeah. more or less it's more, it's all about the long game. So. Yeah. But this uh, goes also for the business. I mean, of uh, course, you, this uh, this expectation that you become an insanely successful business overnight, uh, I think it has its profound negative impact on the way that, that young entrepreneurs think about their businesses. Because business in a pure form and shape, I believe, should bring tremendous value that you can objectively evaluate as a consumer, as a market, either through a product or through a service. And you cannot build an incredible service or an incredible product overnight. You cannot, just it's impossible. Even if you gather the smartest people in your segment of the market to work together, they'll still need time to design, uh, build, uh, design, engineer, build, deploy, and and maintain and support this uh, this technology or this service. And, and I think it's very frightening sometimes when uh, people uh, only focus on... Uh, On the um, on the potential short-term game, instead of being genuinely interested of uh, the potential incredible impact that their effort could do long-term, and 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 and, and this short-term thinking, reflecting on the teams that you are working with, uh, a lot of teams they uh, they almost uh, consider that it's that if they don't become millionaires overnight, that this is not a business that matters, that this is meaningless effort. And that you should search very fast to the new or the next overhyped company. And I think uh, markets would adjust those things very soon. And uh, and people would start to look much more um, strategically towards businesses who are uh, really impactful and, and, and growing because of the value that they bring. Because If you have a business that grows thanks to the value that you are actually building and not thanks to the hype, the chances are that your business long-term could grow and, and, and become a force to be reckoned with in the industry and, and become deeply impactful in a way that you wanted it as an architect of this idea. I can hear the historian speaking here. It's uh, amazing to have this perspective as a, as a business, like a, as a CEO of a company. So thank you for that. You're basically saying that 
more or less people are glorifying money instead of the product and the impact that it is having. Um, what has been your strategy to attract the right investors uh, to scale uh, Endurosat? Because it seems to me that people that are in it to get a short-term gain uh, are not probably you're not interested in such investors as well. I think having capacity to bring great investors on board is a quality. I think it's a success of your business for sure if you do very big rounds of investments, attracting big investors, because this means that you are really good in presenting your vision and, and selling it and, and convincing people who might help you to actually build a sensible business. But I'm more certain that uh, the capital is a part of the resource that you need to actually build uh, product. the product or the service <laughs> of a value. And in this case, every time that we had negotiations at Endurosat thus far, uh, we are always looking at, and I always ask genuinely simple and very traditional questions of, uh, I'm trying to understand from a personal point of view, how uh, the investor would really uh, look into the company uh, three to five years ahead of us. Uh, how would he uh, potentially um, react when we have hard moments? Because every company has hard moments and you need your partners to be strong when the hard moments hit, not when everything is uh, with flying hours and you're like a rocket ship in terms of business. Um, not always you have the luxury to be arrogant enough to or sort good sales, salesman so that you have uh, the, the greatest, best investors on the planet uh, lined up to beg you to get to, to at your door from one side. From the other side, you have to be very careful how you choose partners. Uh, over the years, building Endursat, we had conversations with fantastic people and fantastic organizations. And, uh, and, and I think the fact that we don't necessarily start, we didn't necessarily started to work with them on the investor uh, company point of view does not demean their efforts in, in other fields to be successful. But I had a good feeling that the investor and your partners are people with whom you technically are like getting married, you know, uh, you have to be certain that the chemistry, even on a personal level would be sufficient enough to coexist exactly when the tough moments come. And we were very careful building the company with the resources that we had, uh, how to navigate and how to choose the proper partners. Uh, and for six and a half years, I'm really proud that all our partners, as far as I know, and I'm pretty sure that they didn't, um, uh, never betrayed the trust and, uh, and they were always there when we needed them. And we had moments where we had to sit in the early years of the company and ask them for loans on top of already spent money that they gave to the company just to get to the next uh, stage, just to get to the market, just to get to the first uh, launch opportunity. And they were always there exactly in these tough, tough moments. And I think now they don't hopefully uh, regret that they're on board. But the point is that they were there exactly when we needed them to be. Yeah. And uh, I strongly advise founders to find the proper fit, not to focus on the amount of money that someone could give you because with the money comes a contract. 
and a contract could damage your capability to make the impact and to focus on the really meaningful job that you have to do as a founder and entrepreneur to, to build the product and the service. Spectacular advice. Thank you very much. Um, how quickly did you manage to do the first sale? I mean, selling like easy access to space, low orbit. We started actually in a different way. Uh, the vision of of getting space closer to people evolved as we evolved with the company. So at the beginning, we thought that just uh, by just uh, uh, making sure that the satellites uh, could be built in a different way, in a more standardized way, and it could be more uh, user-friendly for our uh, customers, we started by providing uh, avionics systems for satellites on the, on the already existing nanostrite market. Then we grew our capability to the point to be able to build in-house an entire satellite. So we started offering the satellite as, as a service. Then we grew to, with the self-esteem of operations in orbit, seeing uh, quite a few of our customers flying successfully with our assistance, knowing that they are uh, getting more and more flight heritage, which is the most important part to prove your technology in orbit and operations. That we say, hey, why don't we even go further and uh, try to, to check other parts of our supply chain and in the context of mission operations that we could uh, eliminate uh, as a complexity from our customers point of view. Uh, so we build our own ground stations. Then we saw how excruciatingly painful it is to build a ground station, especially for tracking lower orbits objects and satellites, the licensing, the construction, the amount of time that you have to take into account, the amortization of this equipment over time, the, the complexity of working remotely with these antennas. Uh, uh, the costs that come with uh, you paying a teleport, basically a place that safeguards those antennas to operate uh, in, a, in a proper manner. And, uh, and all of those things started to pop up new ideas of, oh, you know what, if we digitalize the mission control and make it extendable to any type of antenna on the ground that we need, uh, makes no sense that we have to build any more excruciatingly difficult uh, uh, infrastructures on the ground. Then, oh, you know what, if we make this a little bit smarter, the mission control operations, the, the software itself could immediately notify the operator when he has to see something on the screen and not for him to sit in front of the screen all the time. So every step of the way that we uh, made the development of the company, uh, we learned and we analyzed what could, what could be the next step. And in the days that we had our first software defined satellite, we said, well, Instead of just providing it on the market as a hardware, as a flight hardware that someone can fly, put their sensor and fly, why don't we offer this as a service? We have the mission control, we have the capability to operate, we have the satellite. So suddenly we, we turn the entire proposition into just give us what you want to fly and in six months you receive the data in the cloud. And I think this could make space authentically more, uh, more easier for uh, the next generation of entrepreneurs. I'm really excited. We're focused on on uh, commercial missions uh, for earth observation, high precision meteorology, remote sensing, and, and IoT. And I think each one of those segments could dramatically improve in objective terms life on, on planet Earth in, in different regions or on more global level and on businesses in that matter. Uh, so we are now focused on that. And as we go as an infrastructure builder in orbit, because EnduroSat at the end is kind of an infrastructure builder organically, we are ensuring that your sensors get to orbit safely and you transfer the data to the cloud, that's it. Um, we will probably evolve the vision even further in the near future and we're already working on something that I think could be the next uh, 
game changer of the entire industry. Um, but I hope that we can brag about it in uh, about a year and a half from now. Uh, we keeping my fingers crossed. Yeah. Enduro said, space logistics, then easy. Yeah. <laughs> Hopefully. Amazing. Um, so, uh, next question. You can see the economic opportunities that technologies such as yours is providing. And what does this mean for countries like Bulgaria? Like, can it somehow help the, the local ecosystem, the companies around? I think it's a complex question. I think with space challenges in Andurusats, we are in, in, in somehow building an entire industry and capability in a region that did not have a competitive space program for a long, long time. Um, I strongly believe that uh, in our region we should have a strategic capability to build uh, technologies vital for the future of the development of our society and space technology is absolutely without doubt one of those technologies and areas. And I think if the, camp, if, the, if, the if our country is more interested into the future, middle, short and, and long future of, of development of us as a society, We really need, need to take tremendous steps in, in, in enabling this industry to, to start growing and, and to thrive. To give you a few ideas, even with our own current capabilities, today we could offer amazing opportunity for high precision meteorology, earth observation relevant to landslides, uh, water depositories, uh, deforestation problems monitoring of, um, of uh, seasides uh, and those those capabilities we have them today to be built in the Balkans by very smart groups of engineers working on daily basis to offer similar solutions on global level and for me a little bit disappointingly um, I still have the feeling that because we have tremendous other problems and we say where we don't have to think about the future and the relevancy of our technology capability uh, until we don't solve the other big issues uh, like uh, healthcare is a huge issue of course in our region transportation infrastructures are big issues but space infrastructure is already as vital as a general infrastructure on the ground and i really wish in the coming years to see firm decision making in uh, enabling companies like ours to deploy and deliver infrastructure that would put the Balkans again in the maps of the biggest innovators in one of the most rapidly growing industries on the planet, ensuring that we are actual active and competitive player on the global markets with the self-esteem of us being creators of innovations, with the self-esteem that we are in a nutshell creating high-end services and solutions for the market and not uh, not always presuming that uh, East, uh, Eastern part of uh, European Union is uh, always perceived as a uh, as an attractive area of development for cheaper labor force. I strongly believe that we have to push efforts into uh, businesses and strategic uh, who, who are building strategic capability. Isn't it strategic capability for Bulgaria, for example, to have its own unique private space uh, ecosystem? Isn't it strategically incredible if we have high precision meteorology and observation based on our own systems? And if 
By doing them, we are creating jobs and opportunities for hundreds, if not thousands of young people to stay here, remain here and become competitive on global market. I think the investment that a company, that a country could do in companies and in the ecosystem of uh, such kind are so negligible that, that, that in few years we could see dramatic uh, shift for good and creation of entire industries. And, and I, I hope that, uh, uh, that on, on governmental or administration level, people start thinking more uh, realistically about how fast technology moves lately. Um, because not having competitive access to space infrastructure, being confined to being reliable on others' infrastructures in orbit for your own goods and services and policies, are uh, of course making uh, your case as a contributor to the Common European Space Program very weak, uh, strategically are weakening the position of the country and are depriving otherwise tremendous potential future workforce of creative uh, and organically grown engineering and science talents to leave the region to go for other regions who are better positioned to offer them similar or better opportunities for development. Awesome. Yeah. Hopefully someone is listening to our podcast today because I, I firmly believe that um, this is the, the proper way forward be innovating and not to be um, waiting for others to do it first. So given the global trends of consolidation between space startups and SPAs merging with space companies to meet the demand for fast go to market uh, and raising money through IPOs, what kind of future do you envision for Endurosat? We have our own roadmap. Um, we are looking into how the public markets are reacting more optimistically towards uh, space companies going public much earlier than when they are actually already running as a sustainable business. Um, and uh, we hope that those companies and cases are successful. Uh, but that being said, Endurosat is a self-sustainable and profitable organization ever since we went on the market, which I'm extremely proud of. It's a very rare case in the space industry to have a sustainability uh, and to grow so fast, maintaining sustainability. And uh, to build this infrastructure in the near future, we want to retain the same attitude towards how we grow and how we spend uh, money and how we invest. Um, so time will tell that if our strategy of uh, more traditional uh, scaling is uh, is good or, or we had to go to the public markets immediately and to try to uh, convince um, generalist investors of the value that we could create in the near future and the problem with the the challenge with our industry is again it's so complex so heavy demanding on capital so capital intensive and and human resource intensive and and legal intensive that it be, it's becoming more and more sophisticated for a small startup to exist. And in space, uh, usually startups uh, that are um, starting to think about uh, commercial, uh, commercially viable products and services, they need to raise tens, if not hundreds of millions just to exist, which puts the space companies in a completely different ballpark game than a software company. Software company, you start with a server, nice idea, with a, two laptops, a cloud, and uh, two very smart guys working together relentlessly. Space companies, you start the same, but with all the logistics that you need to secure early on, because otherwise you cannot exist. And um, our roadmap as a company is to try to 
ensure that the next ones could step on, on what we have already built and accelerate their growth exponentially faster towards the deployment of services at a price that, uh, that makes space startups existence possible with the same amounts that a software company could exist. And if we can do that, uh, I think we have done a fair share of uh, positive impact on, on a smaller part of our industry. Uh, giving a good example is our, our shared satellite service is the first fixed cost service that we know of in the market. Usually the space market is so complex and the engineering is so difficult that companies prefers, prefer to work with cost plus type of contract, meaning I can sell you this uh, glass of water for uh, one euro, but then over the time of the usage, I don't know how much uh, more I might charge you for any type of complexities that I might find in the way of you using the, uh, the glass. And, uh, and instead of that, we try to democratize the access space by, by providing fixed costs that are order of magnitude below what was possible six and a half years ago when Endurosat was uh, in, in our uh, foundation year. Uh, if you imagine that the average cost of a nanostellite mission, if you are running the show by yourself for five years, and if you have to build this whole infrastructure on, on the ground and in space, would be several millions, however you account it, regardless how you account it. Uh, we are now offering this service for uh, tens of thousands of euro per year, which tens of thousands of euro means a small startup in the Balkans can now afford to deploy a sensor in orbit in a safe environment without polluting orbits at a price of a middle-sized sedan, which makes space better for everyone. Because if more entrepreneurs can iterate on their ideas in orbit, of course, majority probably would fail like in every other industry. But if from a hundred different uh, projects that we enable to exist in orbit in a safe way, 10 succeed to be properly positioned to impact industries on the ground, uh, we will be basically creating overnight the next titans of uh, satellite industry without those people having to worry about any part of a very complex uh, satellite supply chain in the process. Mm. Yeah, we are here at uh, the end of our conversation and of course the recursion comes into, into the context with these iterations that you are uh, doing and uh, taking into account that stepping on the shoulders of giants is the only way forward. So uh, thank you, Raichu. And um, the last, one of the last questions that I'm, have, that I'm having here is, we are currently searching for the first Bulgarian startup uh, that becomes a unicorn. Um, what does this mean for the local ecosystem? What would it mean when it happens? Um, I think we should not put uh the race uh, valuations as the most meaningful way to impact good uh, good companies and good businesses for one sh simple reason in our region we could create and they are already existing incredible entrepreneurs working on global markets providing incredible solutions and they should not have a demeanor because uh, investor did not give them valuation of x i think it would be incredible in the next five to ten years if we see that to, today's businesses that we are looking into and hoping that to become unicorns actually generate, generate billions of revenues thanks to the huge use of their services and products because this is real impact. I think uh, putting, a, putting a 
uh, an entire emphasis on, on solar evaluation is not, I don't think it's very healthy for the ecosystem. From the other side, of course, could be a very positive signal. Uh, I'm, I was super happy, for example, when, when I read the news of uh, already, I think, two or three uh, Bulgarian-born companies that are having fantastic um, progress in uh, in fundraising and in growing their capabilities. And I, and I wish them all the best and, and hopefully they become the unicorns of uh, the Balkans. I think having bigger uh, investments and more... Um, well-recognized investors in our region would in, inevitably help the ecosystem as a general. But at the same time, focusing on valuations instead of the uh, as the only way that you measure impact is very false. Very, very false. Uh, for two reasons, people of the next generation would look at us and our, and our examples and decide how, to, how they approach the business. <clears throat> and if they approach the business in a way that uh, f for me, the most valuable metric in my company is the valuation and I don't care about the product or the service as long as I'm in the news uh, uh, for how much money someone gave me. Uh, I think could backfire really fast into the, in, into the ecosystem. Uh, so from one side, absolutely amazing to have enormous rounds and to hopefully prove that those rounds made the... Uh, led to the creation of incredible value. From the other side, for, for the startups that are just starting now, I would urge them, urge them, think about how can you scale the idea to become a billion dollar revenue program because it helps you mentally to think at scale, but focus on the product and the service, don't focus on the valuation. Yes. Valuations are, uh, are only one of the, uh, of the many metrics that evaluate the real impact of a business. Spectacular answer. Thank you so much, Rachel. Uh, and of course, our last question for the interview today uh, would be, what would you like to be remembered for? Ooh, uh, I'm working on it. Wonderful. Uh, wish you and your colleagues in Endurosat um, loads and loads of successful launches and customers and all the best, but most of all, keep up the great personal example that you're giving. This is, I hope that the new generation will be looking at your um, success and say, hey, this guy came out of Bulgaria, created this company. I want to create uh, something in space. So hopefully we can offer them the easy access for them to make a much, much larger and bigger impact for companies than Endorosat in the near future. Yeah, let's, let's hope for this to happen. Thank you for being with the Recursive Podcast with us yet again, and we'll see you next week. Bye. Tune in next week for the Recursive Podcast. Georgi talks to the Head of Product Management at Pub Galaxy, Maria Raškovska. Yeah, um, I think I've uh, read statistics previously and I, I've, I've heard feedback from investors as well that in Bulgaria, uh, most of the expertise is B2B, which is very surprising to them because uh, uh, especially in the Silicon Valley, there is a lot more B2C startups. And I think there is an explanation for that. It's because, you know, in Bulgaria, the, the market is uh, very small. Uh, you wouldn't be able to have a, like a very scalable thing if you focus only on the Bulgarian market uh, through a B2C. So uh, this is one thing that comes to my mind, uh, which is uh, they actually, investors, which I talked about, uh, about it, they actually find it, uh, 
to be a good thing because apparently in other markets this is not the case. So maybe we should be using that expertise um, and focus on such ideas. And I think the, the hottest startups currently in Bulgaria are doing exactly just that. Yeah. And if you are just as passionate about innovation as we are, hit subscribe for the Recursive Podcast on YouTube or your favorite podcast platform. We're everywhere.